0: Oh, good morning to you again. Thank you so much, uh, worship team, for helping us prepare our hearts to receive God's word. You know, after about over 30 years of uh, serving the Lord as a pastor, there's something that has become very real to me and something I finally learned. And that is when it comes to preaching and teaching the truths of God, there are some topics that are... Um, pleasant, and uh, there are some topics that are heavy, and there are some that are comparatively light. Uh, For example, uh, there's some times when we're called upon to preach about the sovereignty of God and free will of man. Oh, if you want to get deep, boy, that's deep, all right? But then if you compare that, let's say, to preaching about one of the Ten Commandments, it's relatively light, right? It's relatively light. Also, there are topics that are more pleasant, and there are some that are less pleasant. For example, how many of us would love to hear stories about or hear messages on heaven and then versus hell? You know, there's, there's topics like that. There are topics like the love of God and there's topics like the holiness of God. You know, we, we, we burn into this balance all the time. But we need to have, we need to know all of them. We need to know and have a balance of all of them. What makes heaven so great is because there's a hell, (laughs) right? Because who would, you know, that's what, uh, the contrast is so stark. And the contrast is what makes them precious. Uh, Last week, we learned about the holiness of God. And when we talked about the holiness of God, we talked about not only his perfect moral purity, all right? is moral purity, but we also talked about the fact that the holiness of God also teaches that he is unique and different above any creature or part of creation. All right, He is distinct. He is above and beyond anything else. We also learned about his separation from sin and from sinners. And also we concluded with his provisions to resolve the separation uh, from us through Jesus Christ's death on the cross for our sins. And so that was last week. But this week, I want to tackle the topic that is probably something you're not used to hearing about. It's called the wrath of God. The wrath of God. You see, a lot of pastors don't like to talk about the wrath of God. It's very hard to get people to come. If you knew ahead of time probably I was going to speak about the wrath of God, how many of you would probably would have decided to sleep in this morning? Probably you would have. This not one of those very pleasant topics about the wrath of God but yet we need to know about it And so this morning we want to cover the wrath of God. And there's several reasons why. First of all, while it's not an easy subject, it is a necessary one. okay? For example, to not alert another person to the wrath of God is like a parent, a friend, a doctor or even a pastor who acts irresponsibly and does not alert the other person of an impending danger. I mean, for example, I have all these kids, right? And if I didn't, as a parent, if a loving parent, if I did not go to them and say, watch out, kids, there's this coming up." what would you think of me as a parent? You say, not much of a parent at all. You're rather irresponsible if you ask me. You know, what would you think if your doctor, if your doctor said to you, and let's say you have a heart condition and he says, now you better avoid this kind of food and you better avoid this kind of activity. But let's say he stays silent. He doesn't say anything to you. So you're out there running after the bus on the MRT. You're in there crouched all together with, with uh, in, in, at work and you're, you're just being crunched by the stress and everything like that. But your doctor acted irresponsibly because he didn't tell you about it. You see, and in much the same way, to not alert someone to the wrath of God is being irresponsible. There's another reason why, and that is because it is always better to be aware than be caught unaware. Would you agree with that? It's always, you, you hear something, we hear this all the time. We tell, the government puts out all kinds of new flashes. The newspapers are trying to constantly warn us about this, that, and the other. I'd rather be over-alerted than (laughs) under-alerted. I'd rather be made aware than unaware, you see. And so that's another reason. But I think another powerful reason that we should also uh, talk about the wrath of God is because the more we understand the wrath of God, the more we treasure our salvation. The more that we understand about the wrath of God, the more we will treasure our salvation. Dare say that many Christians, even Christians for have people who have been Christians for many, many years, decades long, sometimes it's easy for us to underappreciate our salvation. When we talk about it, when we think about it, it's very superficial. Oh, Jesus died for my sins. Hurrah, hooray, good, hallelujah. That's what we're supposed to say. But then what happens is that when you p- compare that to the wrath of God, then your salvation becomes so much more precious. It becomes so much more precious. So for these reasons and many more, of course, we want to study the wrath of God. While it is uncomfortable, it does bring some comfort as well. So as we learn about the wrath of God, I can't guarantee that you will, it will be very comfortable or palatable, but it is going to be needful. And so follow along with me, will you please, in your Bibles as we launch out on this study of the wrath of God. But let's pray before we get into this. Father, as we come to you this morning, as with last week, we learned something very special about you, your holiness. That which separates you and sets you apart above and beyond anything that has been created, anything that exists. You are God. And so this morning we come to you humbly. We ask, Father, that you would cleanse our hearts and you would clear our minds. Open us, Father, to receive the truths of your word, the truths about you this morning. And Father, as we conclude later in the service, may you just seal this to our heart. And Father, may it serve as a motivation and may it serve, Father, as a treasure that of the truths that among the many truths that you have given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you open your bulletin, the, uh, the outline is very simple. It's, it's not real complicated. It's not jam-packed with everything. And so the first thing is the certainty of the wrath of God. The certainty of the wrath of God. If the wrath of God was not certain, why even talk about it? You know, are we just speculating? Are we just theorizing about something that might happen? If that is the case, let's all go home, you see. But the Bible speaks of it as a certainty. Well, what are we talking about? It starts with a definition. And our friend Tony Evans has this wonderful, concise definition. He says, his, meaning God's, necessary, just, and righteous retribution against sin. Now, now, that's a powerful quote. That's a powerful quote. It sets our minds, it sets ourselves and our minds in a certain direction about the wrath of God. Another statement that was made is it is the emotional response to wrong and injustice, often translated in our Bibles as anger, indignation, vexation or irritation. And so when, you, when we read our Bibles, when we see and we go before the Lord, we must understand that we are seeing a very strong and passionate response against that which is wrong and that which is unjust. It is God's necessary just and righteous retribution against sin. Okay, It's not just God throwing a tantrum. It's not just God stamping his feet. Oh shocks. You know you did that. No, that's not what it did. It is God taking hold and he is saying this is serious stuff and we are going to deal with it right now. That's how that's the we're talking about the wrath of God here. Well, where do we get this, this is taught in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Did you know that in the Old Testament alone there are more than 20 different words that are used, that, are, that could be interpreted as referring to the wrath of God. 20 different words. They're, these words appear over 580 times. 580 times. Do you think God has a message for us? Do you think he's trying to drive something home? Yeah, I think so. We, don't, we can't go through all 580 presentations, but let me just give you two, okay, that will give us a taste of this wrath of God. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm seventy-eight, verses fifty-eight through fifty-nine. It says this, For they provoked him with their with their high places and aroused his jealousy with their craven images. This is idolatry. When God heard, he was filled with wrath and greatly abhorred Israel. Get the point? God just didn't stamp his feet, cross his arm, and said, Oh shucks, you know? Uh uh-uh. uh He was ready to pour out his wrath. Again, if you look at Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 24, verses uh, uh, verses 13 and 14. In your filthiness is lewdness, because I would have cleansed you, yet you are not clean. You will not be cleansed from your filthiness again until I have spent my wrath on you. I, the Lord, have spoken. It is coming, and I will act. I will not relent, and I will not pity, and I will not be sorry. According to your ways and according to your deeds, I will judge you, declares the Lord God. And so God comes boldly forth, and he says to us that this uh, wrath of God is something that he will enact. This is something that he will do. Now, when you come to the New Testament, while the wrath of God is not as clear, it's not mentioned as often as it is in the Old Testament, it usually appears in the context of talking about the need for salvation. It's the need for, for example, the propitiation provision that God made through Jesus Christ. So it's couched a little differently. It's couched a little, but it is still there. Uh, For example, we are told that it is something that is clearly happening and something that is clearly coming. If you look at Romans chapter two, Romans chapter two verses five and six. For example, it says this verse chapter two of Romans verses five and six. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath. For yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. So make no mistake. The wrath of God is certain. The wrath of God is taught both in the Old and New Testament very clearly. And so it's not something to be ignored. It's not something to be just written off. But it is something to be taken seriously. But if you go further, you also find the Bible teaches that God's wrath is part of His divine nature. It is part of God's nature to pour out His wrath on sin. It is part of His nature. God takes sin very seriously. I know that sometimes we don't take it as seriously, nowhere near as seriously as He does. But to God, sin and responding to it is taken very seriously. Look at the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum, chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Unpunished. I mean, how much clearer can you get? Really, understand that. Okay, it's part of his makeup. It's part of his DNA. If you look at the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Book of Romans. It says this, Behold then the kindness and severity of the Lord. Severity is another way to say wrath of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. And so when we see this, It is woven intricately in the very nature of God to respond to sin with wrath. Okay? With his wrath. And so it's all part and parcel of who he is. The Bible is clear that God in his perfect time has, does, and will pour out his wrath on sin and sinners. Just because he has not done so does not mean he will not do so. It is a fatal mistake to believe God cannot or will not execute his wrath for sin just because he hasn't done so. If anything, God's grace has held off the inevitable. And so many of us go about life and we say to ourselves, this judgment of God, this wrath of God, how seriously can I take it? Look, I just did this the other day. I didn't get hit by lightning all they got to watch out in singapore there's a lot of lightning flying around okay and and you say to yourself this didn't happen to me and that didn't happen to me you know it builds up this sort of attitude that we can get away with whatever we want that we can get away with whatever we want but the word of god says the wrath of god against sin his judgment is certain we don't know the timing but it is certain and it is something that will happen well, if it does happen, what will it look like? What will it look like? And this leads us to the second point in the outline, the description of the wrath of God. Now, the first thing that you can say, just from a, even a casual reading of the scripture, is that the wrath of God can be painful and even lethal, all right? You say, Pastor, you have a gift for the obvious, all right? Now, I'm just starting with what we know, and then I'll go to something maybe we don't know as well. But if you just a casual reading of Scripture, it will tell you that the wrath of God can be painful and even lethal. For example, we have seen examples of death and destruction, droughts and disease, exterminations and exiles, pestilence and plagues, and these are just a few examples. So God has this whole bag full of different things that He can use to exercise His wrath upon sin, and He has, and He has. The Bible is full of the record of these kinds of things. The second thing about the wrath of God is the wrath of God has an accumulative dimension. An accumulative dimension. Oh, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if you took the Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, we went back and it says, and the part of that verse, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath. For yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Did you catch that word? Storing up. Okay? It's like you and I are contributing to an account of our sins. And it is growing. All right? It is growing. Now, I know many of you are very astute financially. And you're looking around for the best deal, right? Because you love compound interest, right? Right? Everybody in this room loves compound interest. Give me that compound. Forget the toaster. Give me the compound interest. You know, that's what you want, right? What if I told you that as we sin, our sin accumulates and it is compounding. It is compounding. And probably at the rate that you and I sin, it is compounding really fast. You see? And that's what what I mean by it has an accumulative effect. It's not like God all of a sudden says, "Okay, you confess that one, so I take that one out." He does do that, but because we don't confess that much, it just keeps us storing up. It just keeps storing, up. or we just continue in sin, and we kind of think, "Well, God's overlooking it; no, there's no record of it." No, but God is putting those down, and we our account, our debt, uh, a, a sin debt is accumulating. The sin debt of wicked people just keeps growing. But there's another dimension I want to share with you, and that is the wrath of God has an eternal dimension. Its consequences will last throughout eternity. You know, most of us can go through a pretty horrendous crisis, right? We can go through difficult times if it doesn't last too long, right? This could be at work, this could be at home, or whatever. We can say, I can get through this. I can get through this. But what if we run into a situation where... The pain and torment is going to be forever. Now, that is a different story. That is a different story. If you look at Revelations chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20. I'm going to fast forward the the um, the CD on this thing. About, about hell and the lake of fire. And if you look at Revelations chapter 20 verse 10. This is what it says. This is at the end. This is toward the end of, of mankind. And in Revelations chapter 20 verse 10. And the devil... Who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Who else is going to be with them? Well, we also know it's those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who did not accept Christ as their savior. And they will be joining the devil and the beast and all these other beings in hell. And look what they're going to be suffering. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So what it's telling us is that as far as this eternal dimension goes on, Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 tells us that there will be eternal torment. Eternal torment. Well, what else is there going to be? Well, if we go to the book of Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And some of you are already ahead of me. You already know this passage. Luke chapter 16 talks about Lazarus and the, and the rich man, remember? And the, Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham. He goes to a nice place. But the rich man dies. He goes to Hades, all right? The holding tank until everybody is thrown into the final lake of fire, okay? And so this is what happens is that the story goes in starting with verse 22, It goes this way. Now the poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. He lifted his eyes up, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. He carried out and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, "Child, remember that during your life you received good, good things and otherwise Lazarus bad things. But now he has been comforted here and you are in agony." It says. And so when you look at this in this story of Lazarus and the rich man, there's several things that you should be aware of, okay? He is fully aware. He feels in verse 23. In verse 23, he also sees He thinks and knows he is in great need and cries out to the Lord in agony in verse 24. In other words, the rich man was fully conscious. His physical senses and his mental faculties were intact. And this was going to happen for an eternity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Suffering forever. Suffering forever. But that's exactly what's going to happen. There is an eternal consciousness. There is eternal torment. There is eternal consciousness. There is no anesthesia for hell. There is no anesthesia good enough for hell that will block it out. Okay? So, when we understand the wrath of God, it has an eternal dimension, eternal torment, eternal consciousness. But the last part, Is just striking. There is eternal hopelessness. Eternal hopelessness. If you look at verse 25 to 26. But Abraham said. Child remember that during your life. You received good things. And likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here. And you are in agony. Verse 26. And besides all this. Between us and you. There is a great chasm. Fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you. Will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. There will be this sense of hopelessness, this utter sense of separation that will go on. Now, we do know that the rich man was so struck by this that in verses 27 to 31, he does say, then if this is the way it's going to be, Please, 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 go to my family and tell them what lies ahead and tell them to respond quickly so that they will not be where I am. That's what he says. You see? I'm struck by how people take light, make light about hell. Okay? Uh, They do it on television. They do it on, in uh, reading materials. They do it through all kinds of ways. Just conversation in the office, just conversations in the school and whatever. People don't you know, hell is kind of just like, "Oh, it, 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 you know that, that, that lesson was hell. <laughs> this, this was this. We throw that word around, but we have no idea how serious it is. For example, uh, sometimes people will say in an effort to be light-hearted. They will say, oh, hell. Well, it won't be so bad. I'm not going to be lonely there. Well, many of my friends are going to be there. You know, ha ha ha, he he he. You know, it's kind of like the SMSs you send me. You say, ha ha ha, he he he. You know. And people, people just take hell very, very lightly. But this kind of levity is far from the truth. Hell is a place of great pain and suffering. And like the rich man's family who failed to heed the messages of the prophets and the scripture, people today do not take seriously wrath of God and never give a second thought about their eternal destiny until it's too late. God is clear that God's wrath is real and the suffering that comes with it is real also. Also. I, for one, believe that sometimes some of the hellish situations we go through here on earth, and I'll leave that to your imagination, is almost like a precursor. It's a glimpse. It's a snapshot. It's a preview of what life is going to be in the real hell. You see, there's a reason why people say this is a hellish situation. This is like being in hell because they do have a kind of consciousness that hell is not a good place. But yet, when we talk about it, when we think about it, we just blow it off and we just let it go. No, it is a terrible place. The wrath of God has this eternal dimension to it. Now, how about the justice of the wrath of God? Is the wrath of God really justified? Okay? Now, this usually comes up when a person says, look, I was born this way, okay? I was born with this propensity to sin, I, this and that and the other. I had no choice in the matter, okay? It's just the way. So how can God possibly hold me accountable for this kind of thing? And that could be said about any kind of sin, right? So people can kind of say to themselves and just sort of dismiss that the wrath of God is not real, it's not a concern because it's not justified, it's not right. And God is a, is a righteous and just God, so therefore this cannot happen. That's how the reasoning goes, okay? But what happens is that we see that the wrath of God is justified. And we can find this clearly taught to us in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, the Apostle Paul, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the reasons why God's wrath is justified. And I want you to remember this very simply, three R's. I'm into R's this month, okay? There were four R's, now there are three R's, okay? So, three R's, okay? Romans chapter 1. The first one is the revelation to man. The revelation to man. And this is found in verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God's wrath against sin is constantly being revealed to man. Okay, and if you wanted to be technical in the Greek, it means keeps on being revealed. It's not something that God did just once, boom, and then He walks away. But He constantly is sending us messages that He is uh, judging and He is has exercising His wrath against sin. God is constantly reacting against sin, but man keeps what suppressing the truth. They don't want to deal with it. Now, whether you talk, to, whether in your mind you translate this to mean that perhaps God has allowed certain diseases to exist as a result of sin and so on and so forth, that could be one way he does it. God just constantly reveals it. He's not sitting on his hands. He's not turning a blind eye to the sin that's going on. But rather, he is still exercising his wrath against it. Now, also, God's existence is constantly being revealed to man according to verses 19 and 20. God did reveal himself to mankind. This is called natural revelation. And then later, he uh, exposed it even further with special revelation, which would be the scripture. Creation is the manifestation of God to man. What did he expose? What did God reveal about himself in natural revelation? Well, look at verse 20. His divine power and nature have been revealed so that all men are without excuse. And so the starting point is that God said, hey, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm for real, y'all. And look, all you have to do is look around. Look around at the mountains. Look around at the skies and the seas. And look, there is a God. That's where it all started. And he must have been a fantastic God for him to, uh, to do all of these wondrous things. He must be really a special God in order to harness the power of the oceans, to do this and to do that you say, wow, wow. Yeah, God did reveal himself. But then following the revelation is what? The rejection by man. By the rejection by man. This is verses 21 through 23. 21 through twenty. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Man exchanged God for something else, more of his making and more of his liking. These could be idols, these could be people, these could be all kinds of things. So people have elevated other things to take the place of God. So you understand the sequence? The sequence is the revelation to man. Okay, the revelation to man. God is for real. The second was the rejection by man. I don't like this God. I want something else. So he starts going around, start making up all kinds of other things. The last part is the sorry part. If you look at... Verses 24, 26, and 28, you find a recurrent phrase. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. God gave them over. Verse 26, God gave them over. Verse 28, God gave them over. This phrase, God gave them over, is a legal term. It is one that refers to the handing over of a prisoner to begin their punishment, to begin their, um, their, um, uh, 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 that, that stage of the, of, the, of the life. God was releasing man to pursue what he wants and suffer the consequences thereof. Okay? And you say, God really did that? Yeah, God really did that. Man kept coming back and says, I don't want to recognize you. I want to have an idol of my own making. I want to go on sinning. And after all the convincing, God says, okay, what can I do? So I release you. I withdraw my protection from you. You go off and do what you want to do. But remember, you will be subject to the consequences thereof. And that's what happened there. God gave them over. In this situation, the sin becomes the cause and effect. It becomes the reason and the result. It becomes the root and the fruit. Well, what kind of things did man embark upon? If you look at verse 24 to 27, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And it says in uh, verse 26, And for this reason God gave no to degrading passions. For the women exchanged their natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. The first consequence of this was that there was a moral and sexual impurity. When God says, hands off. I'm taking my hands off. Where did man head? He head directly to moral and sexual impurity. But not only that, if you look at the next set of verses, when God gave them over, it says in verses 20, starting with verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. To do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrusty, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You see, that's what happens when there's a depraved mind. When the mind goes, everything goes. <laughs> you see? And so all of the rationalizations are out the door. Now, I'm going to go back and turn the pages of history, okay. As you can tell from my white hair, and you know you know how old I am, you know that I survived the period in the United States called the hippie Age, the hippie age, okay? Now, who were the hippies? The hippies were the smart young people generation. They didn't like the Vietnam War. They didn't like the government. They didn't like any. They wanted anarchy. And the, the, the call was freedom. Freedom. Let us do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. All right? And so this was the, 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 uh, the, the love child. Okay, this is the generation. And so I happened to live in the Bay Area. I was in the middle of this thing. I, you know, Berkeley was just a few, you know, highway exits down the road. And so there were these massive demonstrations and all of this kind of stuff. And people were, were doing all kinds of crazy things. You know, drugs, LSD was just flying around and all this kind of stuff. And, and people were flaunting themselves and all kinds of people were making love on the, part, on the grass and all kinds of things. And all of it with a sense of rebellion. And they said, I can do whatever I want. That was the first thing that the movement gravitated toward was moral and sexual impurity, and then as the mind began to get more depraved, then everything became nothing had the 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 locks were taken off all the doors, and whatever you wanted to do, whether right or wrong, there was no right or wrong. You just chose to do it, and that's when it. that's when the the uh, disrespect for authority came in, and society began to really suffer for it. You see, so you say to yourself, "Can this happen again?" Sure, sure, it can happen again. Happens all the time, and you see this happening in many of the third world countries where law and order breaks down. You find all kinds of moral and sexual impurity. You find all kinds of behavior that was once. Not condoned is now being condoned. You see? That's what happens when man is released to do what he wants. Not much has changed down through the centuries. Mankind still refuses to acknowledge God. It replaces God with something else, more to their liking and bidding. God releases them to pursue their immoral and depraved ways and the consequences thereof. God's wrath is just because man refuses to believe God exists, he has replaced God, and because God has released them to their sinful choices and consequences. Wow. Wow. As I think about this, you see, you say, well, I'm not that kind of person, I'm not that way. No, but we come awful close sometimes, don't we? We come awful close. Some of us closer than others, and some of us cross the line. This is what happened. God's wrath is just. Now, the last part, the Bible teaches the escape from the wrath of God now there's kind of a, uh, what would I call it there's kind of a after you hear all of the things that have been said before this, you would come away and say well god he 's just a God on a power trip. <laughs> you know, god just wants to be in control of everything and he wants it done his way and all remember he 's holy." <laughs> okay he's holy and therefore he's morally perfect and so he can't you know he can't do wrong and so what happens is that when we have God having his wrath then we say to yourself well maybe we go overboard and say he's not such a good God after all but please understand God is compassionate and he is patient look at Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 say to them as I live declares the Lord God I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? See, we hear about the wrath of God, and we go over the other side, and we say, boy, this God is really, you know. I don't want that kind of God, God is not on a power trip. God really doesn't want. He just takes no delight in exercising his wrath. It's also taught in the New Testament very clearly. If you turn with me to 2 Peter 3, verse 9, and it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You can't say that God has a hair trigger. You can't say that. You cannot say that God is just, oh, I did one thing and boom, you know, he whacks me upside the head. No, he doesn't do that. God is, the last thing he wants to do, really, is to take our lives. The last thing he wants to do is to destroy us. So God is compassionate and patient. God loves, God, God also provides a substitute to appease his wrath. He applies a substitute. In the system of God and how he deals with sin, He allows for a substitute to take the punishment. Tony Evans said it this way. God's justice demands payment for sin. But in his mercy, he provided a substitute to take our punishment for us. God's system of justice allows for a substitute to take the punishment for us. Jesus is the substitute sacrifice for our sins. First John chapter 2, verse 2 says that. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not of ours only, but for those of the whole world. The propitiation, don't let it st- cause you to stumble. It's a big word, but basically what it means, it means that it is the sacrifice that can placate, satisfy, and appease the personal wrath of God. Propitiation for our sins, and not only ours only, but for those of the whole world world now what makes this fantastic is that this was a substitute that was us the that was sent by god it was sent by god and look at first john chapter 4 verse 10 this is love not that we love god but that he loved us and what sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins so god in his love for us he says i'm going to do something that no one else can do I'm going to provide you something that no one else can provide. I'm going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. He says, I'm going to provide the substitute for your sins. And that was Jesus Christ. Well, is God's sacri- is, uh, is Jesus Christ's sacrifice acceptable to God? Is it, is it, does it meet the grade? Does it fulfill the requirements? Does it, all of that? Well, look at Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. God comes right out and says, how are you going to escape the wrath of God? It's by Jesus Christ. I accept it. That's what he did. Jesus is the way of escape from the wrath of God. Now, what is the implication here? The implications here are, are great, but I can only have time to give you one. The certainty of, the nature of, or description of, justice of, and escape from the wrath of God is the message we need to proclaim and share with our family, our friends, and even acquaintances and strangers. Why? Because to only tell the part of the story that says God exists or God is love or that God is will be there when you need him is not the full story about God and us. Okay? There is the wrath of God part. Also, every, we need to share this message because everyone is on death row. Everyone is on death row. Everyone has a real dead line. Everybody has a dead line. Okay? And so when we die, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, we will face our maker and we will face the wrath of God. Now, this is the fact. There is, we all of us are on dead row. Another reason we need to share this message is because until we die, we live off the kindness and patience of God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Now, I'm not reading the scripture. I'm just letting it go here. God's patience can run out. We do know that from Numbers chapter 11 when he lost, he, his patience ran out with Israel. So, for those three reasons, it is only part of the story because everyone is on death row and because until we die, we live off the kindness of God. But because no, the last reason is because no one knows when they will face death and judgment. That is why it is important that they accept God's way of escape today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart, but respond to God's gift of a way to escape. Now, let me just close with this. My brother, okay, thank God most... Many, many, of not all of you, walked closely beside us through that time. My brother was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I flew out to America immediately after I got word. I spent 20, less than 24 hours in the U.S., but I spent most of it with my brother. And I shared with him the gospel. I shared, you prayed, he got saved. Okay? Flat out, that's what happened. But you see, this message has to be have that kind of impact on us. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. You want to escape from it. You want to escape from it. And that's the message we need to be sharing with people. God clearly declares the certainty of, the description of, gives us the description of, and the justice of, and the way of escape. Now, God is speaking to you this morning. God is speaking to you this morning. What are you waiting for? Proclaim the gospel. Accept Jesus Christ as your way of escape from God's wrath if you haven't already. Today is the day of salvation. Okay? Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we have put you and your matters on low priority. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to right the ship. Help us, Father, to understand more clearly and more fully and more significantly the fact that the wrath of God is very real. And Father, help us to be rescuers of our family and our friends, our loved ones, strangers, anybody you bring across our path. In Jesus' name, amen.